I'm Baron Cox, and I'm an active survivor. Been through a lot in life and still here. So we'll talk more about that as we move along. another installment of Living Legends. And I am so excited about our guest today. Uh, some of you have heard of robber barons, but we're not talking about those. We're talking about active survivor, Baron Cox. It is so great to have some time with you and to kind of get to know more about your story. And so one of the things that Living Legends really started was a way for us to tell of the goodness of God, the way that God has been maneuvering people throughout their lives, and also kind of introduce folks that are connected to our congregation, those who are you know, either within or without, but all the things that God is doing. And so that's what we want to jump into today. So you've opened us up, you've kind of told us this, this start that you've been through a lot. So let's kind of start off, mm -hmm. early life. You say you've been through a lot. How, how does early life for you start? Well, I grew up um, in the 50s, 60s in Boston, mm. and uh, we called Boston up south, <laughs> um, you know, up south, south. because <laughs> Boston is a very divided city. Uh, we learned very early parts of Boston you cannot go in. You can't go to South Boston. That's the Irish. You can't go to the North End. Those are the Italians. You can't go to Charlestown. That's whoever's over there <laughs> that don't look like you, right? So you learn these things very early in life, and... It's really interesting that you, you know, growing up in it, it becomes part of who you are and what you are. It's almost normalized yeah. until it's not, mm -hmm. until you find out how it affects you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as an example, um, you know, I was an honor student in the Boston Public Schools. Wonderful. And uh, sixth grade, we moved 13 miles west and found out that I really didn't have good reading comprehension. <laughs> How's that possible, right? So it's those kinds of things where you realize those, those inequities yeah. are things that really impact you in ways that you don't know mm -hmm. because it's so normal. It was, how could you normal be normal and honest student without good reading comprehension? That's, yeah. just, that's just not normal. Absolutely. So it's those kinds of things. But, um, you know, I come from a really good family, mm -hmm. a, fo a great foundation, you know, mom, dad, four brothers and sisters. I'm a twin, by the way, wow. but the youngest. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, we were latchkey kids. Uh, for those of you who are younger and don't realize what that is, that's your mom and daddy worked and you had to have a key to get in the house. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we all took care of each other. And, you know, uh, we're, my daddy, you know, he's from the old school, Alabama. And, you know, it's like you be home before the, before the lights come on. And if one of y'all get in trouble, you can't be in trouble alone. You all need to be sticking together, right? That's, that's you know, so we grew up with really good values. Um, Dad was a deacon of the church, which means we were all stewards of the church. Um, <laughs> you know, his stories about being in church all the time. We yeah, were in yeah. church all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, very uh, different now. It's we're, very we're different. In we're in church some of the time. Some, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when we're there, we're not always there, yeah, right? right. But, but, so, so, you know, and it, it was a, it's, it's really a, um, it's really a blessing yeah. to have had that experience and be grounded with that foundation of not just the church, but what church means. Yeah. You know, what does dedication to the church, what does dedication to the community really mean? And that's really what we got because, um, you know, we, we not only in Vacation Bible School, but taught Vacation Bible School. Yeah. We taught Sunday School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we uh, served the elders. We went on runs with my father when he was 
you know, giving communion to those in the hospital yeah. and whatever else. So we really learned what yeah. that meant. Yeah. So I had a really good foundation. Um, and I, I know I talked about my dad, but my mom, you know, she was there every, yeah. you know, she was every day. I mean, it's making sure stuff got done yeah. um, and we got it done. So uh, yeah, we had a really good upbringing. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, so amazing family upbringing. Like we start this, you make this transition in school. So give us some, what are some of the educational backgrounds? Like what college did you go to? What led to your absolutely amazing career? So um, interesting, high school, I was, uh, aside from the fact that I did very well in high school, mm -hmm. my guidance counselor, told me I would never go to college. Really? So this was during the time of the Vietnam War. But you know, um, my family, and I think there was one or two other fam black families in this school. Mm. So it was all white high school. <laughs> um, so uh, I actually, no, neither my mother or father went to college. Okay. And my brother went to the Air Force, my oldest brother, my oldest sister went to the Air Force. My oldest brother was just a year ahead of me. Mm -hmm. He went to Grambling um, and uh, I was like, so I don't know. <laughs> I've been working since I was 15 and a half. So I was still working. I was like, okay, I'll do this. And then, you know, the, I was, the lottery, draft lottery, my number was like 236. And the lottery was up to like 220. I said, well, I don't speak French to go to Canada. I'm not getting <laughs> married. I'll go to college. And that's literally how I went to college. Wow. Um, and I, you know, I, I got accepted to many colleges, but I went to Northeastern University, okay. uh, majored in uh, political science with a minor in English. Okay. Um, and uh, actually it's a very interesting, in the heart of Boston, it was a commuter college. Okay. And uh, actually, if I could brag a little, did quite well. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, uh, we brag on God all the time. He blesses us, it's amazing things. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's, 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 and it's, it's, if we go back to, to what I was talking about in terms of uh, being on honor roll in Boston, learning I didn't have good reading comprehension. I mean, one of the things I did around that is I lived the library in grade six through high school mm -hmm. because it's like... I'm not going to lose. You know, my daddy taught me, never blame your work on your tools. Your brain is one of your tools. So feed your brain, yeah. and get it done. So, yeah. and that's how I learned that. I learned through reading. I learned, you know, you can stand up and talk to me all day. Okay. But if I read something, I do not forget. Wow. So you go from having reading comprehension, like deficiency, so to speak, to majoring in English. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is my mind, a political science with a minor in English. Right. Exactly, right. What, 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 right, a, right. what a switch. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I actually taught adult education, English, adult okay. education while in college. Yeah, so, um, and, uh, you know, I had a, you know, again, I talk about my blessings all the time, and, and people always ask, how do you know you're blessed? Why do you say that? Well, when you're blessed, you know it. Yeah. You just, you just do. I mean, it's nothing tells you you're blessed, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's when you're blessed, you know, and I, obviously you must know that, but it's, it, but it is, and I, I was really blessed. I met some really great folks at the university, um, connected with the African American Institute. Okay. And uh, that's kind of where I figured out I have a gift hmm. in, um, in leading. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, this was in the days, so this was early 70s, uh, went to 1971. Okay. Um, you know, black studies was not, it, it was not a big thing. It was, barely, barely available. It wasn't accredited. Right. <laughs> um, and so that was one of the first things is that uh, we fought for getting it accredited. 
and uh, uh, along with the deans in the, in the African-American Institute, um, I was asked to be one of the leaders to lead this demonstration on college, one of the many <laughs> that we led. And, uh, and what was interesting about that is, I think like in any university, it's a community and there's communities within communities. Absolutely. And so the African-American community wasn't always together. Um, and one of the things I believed in is that we should not be fighting for anything that was only for African-American students because we'd never win that fight. Yeah, yeah. We can get the same thing mm -hmm. if we argue this is a benefit for all students. Yeah. And so we did that. So after the third or fourth demonstration of shutting down the university and getting things, I mean, we got like the you know, African-American police, we got them promoted. Wow. We got security to really look at protecting all students. Wow. We got obviously the courses accredited we actually got the African-American studies department to be a real studies department wow. with real faculty and real staff from yeah, around yeah. the globe. Yeah. Um, you know, which a lot of non-African-Americans benefited from that. Um, so, you know, some good, and that, so there's a lot of good lessons in that yeah. around how do you lead a fight? And of course, a lot of African-Americans says, why are we fighting for other people? We need to fight for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, but. Yeah. Yes, and Exactly. Yes, and. <laughs> Yes, Ian. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so that, I mean, so when we talk about, you know, where, where did I find that? I mean, obviously some of the deans were really helpful in, you know, and encouraging me to, you know, you get a brain, use it, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, my father also did that too during the riots. It was like, you know, you didn't go out there in the streets throwing bricks. At, do you understand what you're fighting for? Yeah. Right? I mean, very early, I, when I wrote papers, it was on Frederick Douglass, the Tuskegee Airmen, right? This is in the 60s, I'm, you know? That's what I was encouraged to write papers on. So I had a really strong foundation in our culture. Gotcha. So this, this is amazing. So now we have a, a life of activism, again, beating odds, changing things. And you know, as I'm sitting here, recognizing that not just at Jordan University, but universities all over the country Right, have to go through this kind of same process. And schools like yours are pointed to like, well, look at what they're doing, look at what they're doing. And so now, 2023, I'm in a program for African-American preaching and sacred rhetoric. Would have not, not would have been possible, would mm -hmm. not have been possible had it not been work that you all did back in the 60s and 70s, right? So still standing upon mm -hmm. the shoulders of others, accredited university, accredited, right? So. So then you do this activism in college, activism in college. What comes next? Well, the president of the college, who I sat across the table from many times, <laughs> many times <laughs> in a bit of an adversarial <laughs> position, um, called me into his office one day. And I'm like, OK, you know, and one of the things I always believed is that you should not be one of the students. And I was never the student leader. Okay. I was one of the students gotcha. leaders, to be real clear about that. Uh, but he called me into his office, and I'm like, okay, what I do? And my whole thing was, don't ever be in front if you don't have the grades to stay in school, mm -hmm. because they can get you on something. Easy. Right? Easy. So I said, all right, he can't kick me out, so what does he want? Mm -hmm. He asked me to be the rep one of the representatives from the university to help solve the school desegregation issue in Boston. And you may have seen that in the news, that Boston had one of the biggest Issues around, issues around <laughs> segregation in absolutely. our public schools. Um, so I, I said, absolutely. Um, and here I am, you know, 
debating before the city council why we should desegregate colleges and why the tax base was not the right tax base. And, you know, we shouldn't have taxes in this community and this community that affect the education of our children. You know, I mean, it was, it was, it was really interesting for me because it was, I had to study the political system. I had to know what was going on in the systems mm-hmm. in order to have that debate. Absolutely. Um, and it was just, you know, here I am, this, you know, barely 20-year-old kid. But it's like a perfect confluence, <laughs> right? It is political science major, it is English major, and it is experience of an African-American kid, right? Like growing up in segregation to be able to speak to the heart of why desegregation could be... Being a victim of it. And say, <laughs> right. let's right. talk about the solution to it. Absolutely. Right, so it was, no, it was fantastic. So my first job was working for health education and welfare, writing reports on education legislation. So I would actually go to congressional meetings on education legislation yeah. and report back to that, had to write reports that go to the Secretary of Education so that he could go in cabinet and do things. So I learned a lot about how we were not being educated, right? Um, And I was able to write in that. And I'm sure, and I can't tell you exactly what I wrote these many years later, but I'm sure my influence of where I grew up and how I grew up influenced how I wrote the reports, (laughs) right? My second uh, job was working for the Housing and Urban Development. Um, And And this is still in the Boston area? No, no, this is in Washington, D.C. So I actually lived in Washington, D.C., during these during these during these oh. periods so i lived in washington I was okay. school in boston then i live in dc go, back, go to back to boston back to dc okay. and the second one was housing and urban development where i um where i worked on um housing mm-hmm. legislation and uh, housing compliance so mm-hmm. you know this was a whole part of every house every building that got federal grants had to be eeo mm-hmm. compliant right <laughs> yeah, um yeah. and you know so i'd audit those and you know so it was those kinds of things so i was getting really immersed in really the inequities in society from a legal point of view that i had experienced from a personal point of view yeah. right so you, you learn about all that stuff and it and it impacts you in ways that you could either get angry or you could do something about it and my choice was to do something about it. So after college, I stayed with the Housing and Urban Development, okay. um, working on that. Um, and then I went into uh, a power construction industry, um, Stone and Webster, where I went around the country um, auditing basically power plants, mm. right? Coal fire plants, nuclear plants, et cetera. Huh. And bit of a change. It was a bit of a change, and I, I learned I grew up well. <laughs> When you go to some of these places where these plants are located. Right. <laughs> like, I thought I had one. Right. My ghetto was good. <laughs> right. He said, I had the good ghetto. <laughs> I didn't even say that, right? We should write a book. Good ghetto. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so that was a bit of the foundation. Um, and from there, I, um, I went to this old uh, paper company, uh, Denison Manufacturing Company. They were the only manufacturers of of uh, crepe paper in the world. Wow. And they had these, it was an old, old mill and the old mills in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would go around and I'd look at these machines and I would look at how they operated them. And I one day went uh, to the president and said, you know, there's better ways of doing this. And he said, really? I said, yeah. I said, you know, there are, you could actually get an engineer in here to actually design a, a, a mechanism to run these machines more efficiently. Really? I said, yeah. He 
said, can you find them? I said, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know I couldn't. So I, so I said, yeah. <laughs> and I did. And I, and I found it. And it was like, well, can you also get somebody to do this? Sure. <laughs> did it, right? Um, um, and uh, so, you know, it's, it's, so it's these progressions. And I didn't know that would lead me to the technology world. Hmm. Uh, because what happened was... I, I just got to chart this, right? Because th this, this is what makes this amazing, right? We go from school, activism, we go into housing and educational legislation, then we jump to power plant, then we jump to paper mill, revolutionize really a, a company there. Like, you kind of said it like as a byline. Yeah, you know, I kind of totally innovated the entire company, <laughs> <laughs> right? That is doing the only one uh, that's doing this to now transitioning to tech. Right, so this, this has to be what, late 90s, 90s Oh, 80s? no, this is still, <laughs> no, this is still late 70s, early 80s. Really? Yeah. So yeah. this is before, before even tech was like the, a thing to call it tech. That's right, yeah. that's right, that's right. I mean, in fact, um, the Apple II had just come out. Okay, so. Okay. This is before he got fired the first time. <laughs> and uh, so Wang Labs called me. Okay. And uh, a lot of people don't know Wang Labs, but Wang actually invented the first word processor. Hmm. And they were looking for people to come in and try to find, you know, all these different types of engineers, you know. Um, you well, you're, well you're an engineer. I mean, you know, uh, all these different types of engineers to continue building all these things. Mm. And they've, you know, however they found out that I could find these unique people, <laughs> they said, come in and do it. Uh, so the, the interesting part of that is I got, is I did a lot of that. But then I started looking at, well, why are you looking for these people now? Mm. Why, you know, what, do you, what is your business and how are you getting lost? So I started getting into business. And the uh, president of this small systems division um, asked me to be on his team. He said, I want you on my team because you're asking the kinds of questions that nobody's asking. Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're looking at what right. we're doing next. We're doing something now, but, but it must be setting up for... For something, right? Absolutely. So I'm like, why aren't we doing this? Mm -hmm. um, so I actually got on his team. And that was, so that was the first human resources business partner uh, kind of position that the company had. Um, so I went from there to digital where I did basically the same kinds of things, but for the sales organization. Um, and then in 1988, so here we go in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, so 1988, um, one of the gentlemen from digital went to Apple and he called me from Apple, says, we need you out here. Wow. And that's how I got to Apple in California, um, doing some of the same kinds of things. So, so one of the, and I imagine when you get to Apple, it's probably not a, a large population of uh, African-Americans. Uh, oh, no. Work. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not at all. Um, but if I go back to digital for a second, one yeah. of the things that digital, Ken Olson was actually a genius. He was the president of digital. And he believed that diversity was important. Mm. Um, one of the things he put into his executive leadership was that if we are not looking at the entirety of the population, we will never get the best. Mm. Um, and under that, um, along with two other colleagues, I developed, we, de we developed this please take out this I stuff. Um, we developed um, a program called Managing the Value of Difference. Mm -hmm. And this was a program that went to all leadership in digital about taking a look at the filters and what keeps you from 
hiring the best. What keeps you from looking at people who don't look like you? So this is like DEI before. This is DNI before it was way. called DNI. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um, so um, yeah, and it, and it was really a fantastic program um, that Ken Olson supported, and it was just it was just great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when I went to Apple, not being many people like me, myself and some colleagues developed the first African American ABNA, Apple Black Networking Association. Wow. Yeah, so we developed that. In fact, people I'm still very close with today. In fact, just played some bid whist with some folks. <laughs> <laughs> Not too long. I've played bid forever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I mean, so it's, it it stayed with me. That whole, you know, it's it's you're not going to be successful alone. How do you bring others with you? And these are the ways to bring people along and to help the, and help where you're usually the first or the only. It's so people don't feel so first, or people don't feel so only, because yeah. it's it's tough. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So now, '80s, you're at Apple, right? Mm -hmm. This is this is this is huge. Now some life stuff begins to happen again. You you're constantly surviving. Take us now. Where where, where do you go next? So I got a call. I had a great mentor, um, and I got a call from a mentor saying, "Hey, have you been getting a call from this person?" I said, yeah. How come you didn't answer? Because, you know, they just promoted me at Apple. I'm <laughs> doing great, right? Uh, answer the call. Um, and it was his sister who was working at a biotechnology company uh, who was calling me. So I went and talked to them, and I thought about it and said, you know, biotech is the next big thing. <laughs> You're always on the edge of the next big thing. Especially in this, and like I said, I, I told you when, at the beginning when we were talking that I've been really blessed in life. Yeah. Um, and when my daddy said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Well, I knew I had to go somewhere. Mm. And in college, I said, I am going to, because of what we went through in Boston and everything else, in college, I said, when I retire, I'm going to go to South Africa and help them out of apartheid. Because wow. remember, apartheid was still happening, it was, right? It was, huge. Um, it was huge. And I, but that was something I put in my head and I never forgot. Mm. And I didn't know all these things were going to get me there, right? But it was building all these experiences because why would some little kid from Inner Roxbury have go through all this if it wasn't guided by something, right? Which is, you know, the good Lord was leading me to where I, <laughs> to where I needed to be, even though yeah. I didn't know it. Um, so in biotech, it was this whole thing, oh, so good, we can actually help human beings be better human beings. Yeah. Um, and that was just an incredible experience. And the first time in my life, I actually worked for an African-American woman. Wow. And it was, I, I, I mean, it was, it was glorious. <laughs> now, I, I don't know any other way. To, I mean, she was hard on me. Yeah, <laughs> appropriately. I, yeah, appropriate, without yeah. question. Yeah. Um, but it's, how many chances in life do you get to do that, right? And it was just, it was just incredible. Yeah. Um, and that was a really good experience um, for many years. And when I finally decided to leave the sea, I was like, really? You, we really don't want you to leave. I mean, because, you know, they were developing drugs. And what they didn't understand was their business. And they believed in good science. I believe in good science. But you also have shareholders. So how do you develop drugs and get them to the market at a time that makes some sense? And those are the kinds of things that I help them from a strategy point of view is, what is your development time? How do you think about your development time? How do you think about how to do these things? Which are things I learned along the way, you know, from all these other places. But I didn't know that's what I was learning, right? Um, so anyway, I got up, 
out of uh, biotech, and then I went back into technology with Cisco okay. Systems. Okay. Um, oh, that's not true. That's not true. I went to <clears throat> startups, but it was a, a storage company. Okay. Um, and I was there for about a year and said, is this a real business? Mm. They were like, yeah. I said, no, it's not. <laughs> So I helped them sell the business to, to Data General, actually. I don't, okay. You may remember Data General. I don't, actually. I you don't? don't? Okay, all right. They were a bigger storage company. <laughs> they really did have a business. They really did have a business. <laughs> and from there, I went to another startup, which was uh, Global Reach Internet Connections, GRIC, uh, which they were in. Um, all right. We had these things called modems a long time ago. A long time ago. Okay. All we right. still kind of have we them. We still kind of have them, yeah. except they're really built in. Right, they built in. Uh, but this was when you actually had to dial a number, mm -hmm. and I do mean dial a number, and to get into a network, which say we'd call a VPN, mm -hmm. which we didn't back then, okay. in order to get to your network. Gotcha. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so this was a company, iPass is a company who also was a competitor. Um, and this was a company where... Um, I really learned, came back to my skills of debating with the president and others of the university, where the, the founder and the president were at, I mean, they were literally fighting in the halls. I am not exaggerating. Wow. And I, I, this was like, I called the board member and said, hey, look, here's what's happening. I need cover because I need to straighten these two out mm -hmm. because you guys got a business here mm -hmm. and it ain't gonna happen like this. Mm -hmm. And they said, got your back. And so I took the president aside and said, look, I understand what you're trying to do. You can't be fighting in the halls. You can't be doing this. Let's talk about what you want to do. And he and I sat down. I, told, I said, okay, now you just sit here. I went to the founder. What's wrong with you? <laughs> right, because he wanted to go public now. The president said, we're not ready to go. They were both right. They were both right. So how do we do this? So got them in a room, we came up with a strategy on how do we go public and what were the fundamental things that we had to do as a business in order to do this, right? And we did go public, mm. I was very blessed. <laughs> um, and that is when I, uh, it was at that company that I started feeling um, pain. I had this pain, this lower, this lower abdominal pain that just wouldn't go away. And I went to the doctor, I said, no, you're good, right? I mean, I was running every day. I was healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, I was mid-40s. You know, I mean, nothing wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. I must have gone to the doctor eight or ten times. and said, nah, something's going on here. And took my temperature every day. Took, you know, just, yeah. and uh, I was having sweats. And they couldn't find anything wrong. And, and this is where, you know, just have to be persistent. And uh, later we found out that I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I was diagnosed stage four, wow. non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. In, the, in your mid-40s? In my mid-40s. Um, and uh, I remember the, um, actually, uh, African-American doctor, and he came in the room crying. I said, why are you crying? He says, well, I have bad news for you. He said, what's that? He says, well, you have lymphoma. I said, what's that? <laughs> he said, it's cancer. I said, okay, what are we going to do now? He said, did you hear me? I said, I heard you. I said, I'm just glad to know <laughs> what it is. <laughs> so now I can work at it. Right. Let's figure out what it is. So I went immediately to the oncologist who said, we're going to start chemo today. I said, well, I want a second opinion. She said, you can have a second opinion, but you're going to start chemo today. <laughs> <laughs> right. After, you can get your second opinion after, this chemo. after the chemo. Right? <laughs> um, and so um, I did get that second. I did start chemo, and I did get my second opinion um, at the Stanford Hospital, head of oncology. 
Dr. Ewan, absolutely fantastic gentleman, walked in the room and said, you have stage four. I've never had a case this advanced and had a survivor. And I said to him, well, God has a plan for me, so I'm going to be your first. Wow. And he looked at me and said, excuse me? I said, God has a plan for me, so let's go. Wow. Um, and, and, and I'm, not, and I'm, I'm saying that in all sincerity. I mean, yeah, that yeah. was literally the conversation. And uh, so I went through chemo, radiation, intrathecal uh, chemo. Um, 11 months later, the cancer came back. Um, and then I went through the whole preparation for a bone marrow transplant. Wow. So I did have a bone marrow transplant. It was uh, autologous, so I used my own bone marrow, okay. which was a, whew, it wasn't a highlight in my life. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was one of these things where I truly believed that God had a plan for me. Yeah. Um, and even, I mean, there was a time where I said, I can't do this anymore. And I, I'm in my doctor's office and She's putting me through the chemo. I said, I can't do this another day. And she just looked at me and read my chart and said, well, let's skip today. We'll come back next week and we'll move on. You'll feel better. And I did feel better and we did it. And, and here I am 23 years later. Um, and, 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 I, and when I went back to the head of oncology at Stanford, he said, Mr. Cox, I'm going to tell you. I was being honest with you when I told you we never had anybody survive this. He said, but it was your belief, your faith, and your attitude that got you through this. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, it's that belief, my faith, and certainly my attitude that got me through most of the things in life that I had to get through. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's uh, and so, you know, when people say, when I, people ask me how I'm doing, I say, I'm blessed. Yeah. And they say, well, how do you know? And I just say, when you're blessed, you know it. Mm-hmm. You just know it. And again, I don't know all the things that God has planned for me, but I know he's led me around some incredible roads. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was at that time at Cisco um, that um, I was in a human resources role and um, we had done some major organizational transformations. And um, my boss called me in and said, okay, you've done all this, now what? I said, what do you mean now what? I said, there's more to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but John Chambers was the uh, CEO. Um, so John Chambers would like you to go to uh, Jordan and work with the, um, the King of Jordan on an educational imperative that they have for the country. Now this was the time of the Gulf War. And I said, I really appreciate that. <laughs> but respectfully, I would stand out big time <laughs> at this time. Is there something else <laughs> that we can do? <laughs> and she said, well, there's this other thing in uh, South Africa. They have uh, a Black Economic Empowerment Initiative um, that they're working on. Would you be interested in doing that? Yes, please. I'm like, wait a minute. Go back, college, early 70s. I said to myself, if I retire, I will go to South Africa, help them get out of apartheid. You want me to go and you're going to pay me to go to South Africa to do what I want to do? Yeah, I think I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that, that, so that was how I got to South Africa. Um, but I didn't want to seem too overeager. Oh, and the inside, it was like, can I go tomorrow? 
Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I didn't want to seem over eager because you know, my wife had just started a business um, in memory of her, of her father. She started a elder care facility. Okay. And I said, well, that's her dream. Mm -hmm. And I can't step yeah. on her dream, right? Um, so I went home and talked to her and said, hey, this opportunity came. I know you're doing this and I want to support you. If it's not the right time, I understand. And uh, she looked at me and said, you know, all your life you've been dreaming about going to South Africa and helping the people of South Africa. Most people can't even dream. And you had this big dream. There's no way that this is not going to happen. Mm. I mean, to have a partner that that's supportive yeah. of when, you know, and, you know, and, that, and that's God. That's, let's, that's, let's be real clear, right? That's, that's, that's you know, so, absolutely. so we, you know, so I went back and, you know, renegotiated some things to make sure that she could run her business and mm -hmm. how we made that happen. But yeah, I went and um, that's another whole chapter of going into a country. This was on the 10th anniversary of the end, at the end of apartheid, so it's still new. Um, and going in there and convincing multinational corporations that they need to give back in meaningful ways into the country. Mm. Um, that I, 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 I know I'm talking and not letting you answer. No, no, no. But, this is a great way to tell a story. But, you know, it's, it's, I walk into this, to our office and the only black people are one SE, the cleaning crew, and the coffee lady. And I walk in and I say to the general manager, help me understand this. We're in a country that's 80% black, colored, and Indian. And this is what I see. Oh, well, we can't find people qualified to do this. Of course, that's always the story. I said, I want you to think about what you just said and think about who you're saying it to and see if you want to say that again. And he says, we can't find people. I said, okay. I said, so I'm sent here from corporate to work on this black economic empowerment program. What have you done? Oh, I don't believe in that. I said, really? Talk to me about why. Well, I believe that the best people will be in the jobs and that we don't need to sacrifice our profits for that. I said, so I just told you, I was sent here from corporate to do this, and you're telling me you don't believe in it. Okay. I said, okay. So a month later, he was gone, and we're looking for a new GM. Figure. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Um, but what was interesting, I connected with the Chamber of Commerce. I got to heads of every company, Oracle, Microsoft. You name them if they're in South Africa. I got all of the GMs together. Wow. And I said, what are we going to do about BEE. And a lot of them are like, no, don't know. I said, guys, look, let's be clear. We actually will never have to report anything to the government of South Africa because all of our revenues go through other countries and they're not entitled to see our balance sheets. That said, there's an incredible amount of downstream business that can be intellectual property for this country that will also profit us. Let's just think about how we look at this, how do we flip the script so that we're helping this country at the same time we're helping our business. 
And they all looked at me like I had three heads. And I said, this is not hard. This really isn't hard. And so um, I met uh, Dali and Pufu. I don't know if you know who Dali and Pufu is, but um, Dali was um, the escort of Winnie Mandela Mm -hmm. while Nelson was in prison. (laughs) Did I say that politely enough? (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) And he was uh, head of the charter committee for ICT, the Internet Communications and Telecommunications. And so I then got on the the ICT Charter Committee. So every finance, ICT, communications, they all had their own charter that was supposed to boost, uh, come up with a plan on how they're going to empower black economic empowerment. And uh, and so we we were working. We were were working it, right? And um, so I finally uh, convinced all these companies to, re- to really look at their downstream businesses. So I was no longer in HR, by the way. I'm now in business development. Okay. Um, and uh, so we came up with some, with some fairly unique ways of really establishing some, some businesses and that we could put intellectual property in South Africa and create businesses. Yeah. And it was quite successful. Yeah. And I remember at Parliament, um, the, the charter committee was doing it, and Dolly was the head. I was just a member. Mm-hmm. And they were getting stuck on this one part. And he whispers back to me, remember what you said? Say that in your American accent, <laughs> right, to the committee. So they would hear me talk about how they can actually get revenues into the country through downstream. Because the reality is, is that they couldn't take 30% of our revenues because they weren't reported through South Africa. Right. Right? But this is a way that we could do even better than 30%. Mm-hmm. And they owned it which was, to me, more important. But I think my most, I think there are a couple of things that are my most, the achievements that I'm most proud of. One is Cisco had um, certification programs. They had a Cisco certified sales rep. Mm. They had a Cisco certified CCIE, CC, I can't remember all all the different things now. But it was a program where you, it usually takes about four years to go through all the different certifications right. to get to CCIE, which was the highest. And then you get your security and other things on top of that. And um, my goal was to bring more people that look like me in the office. Yeah. And so, I, so all this was happening at the same time. And so I, um, I went to some of the schools. I obviously got funding from the company. Uh, so I went to some of the local schools, got some people, and I say the first cohort of students was 16 students, um, 90% black, mixed 50-50 male and female. Mm-hmm. And I put them through the first three certifications, which was a sales, certified sales, um, CCNP, which is network professional, and then CC, so it wasn't CCIE, but there was four, the first three mm-hmm. I got them through. And we did it in eight months. Now, I'm not an engineer. Mm-hmm but I taught the class. I would go home every day and I would read the book. And I'd come to class, I'd come and say, all right, here's what we're gonna to study today. And after the first couple of chapters, I said, now your turn, you read the next chapter and you come and teach it. Because I've learned that the best way to learn is to teach, right? And that's what we did. And they all got their certifications in eight months. And I had about an 80% success rate. Mm. Um, what was interesting, after the third cohort mm-hmm. of students that I put through this program, 
Cisco adopted this program globally. <laughs> right, this, was, this was after not being able to find, remember, I walked in, we can't find people to do this. Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, I just, you know, it's just, how do you, it's, here it is, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, so I'm incredibly proud of that. And along with that um, is, was, I got people in to teach them economics. Here's how you balance a checkbook. Here's how you save. Here's how, I mean, right? We, we need to, let's teach some hygiene things because mm -hmm. they had, these kids were going to make more money than their parents and grandparents made in generations. And how do you do that? You know, and there was a lot of drugs and alcoholism and everything else. And it's like, how do you teach them some basics so that they're not squandering these funds? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I'm very proud of that. Today, these kids are general managers themselves. Mm -hmm. They bought their parents' houses. I, I was able to go back to South Africa a few times and meet with them, and mm -hmm. it's just, it was just great. I, I just want to say, I want to take our church to South Africa, so uh, you got to be on that trip and help us go back when we go. Without question. You got Without question. Without question. Um, the other thing is, I guess there's two more things. Um, the head of um, NEPAD, mm. the, um, it was the New Partnership for African Development. Okay. It's, it's a global organization, um, called me. Um, and uh, because they got my name from the head of the Innovation Hub, which I also did some work with, but it was cool work, but not as cool as these. Um, and he called me and said, look, we want to get computers in all the countries and all the schools in Africa. And I said, I can't sign up for that. And he looked at me and said, why not? I said, what good is it, gonna put, what good is it to put computers in school? I said, all these companies are willing to give you computers. That's why they end up in dumps and start, and, and, they, and they're poisonous. You put, they go, end up in landfills and kill people. So what is your goal? He said, well, we have to get computers in school. I said, let me help you. What I think you want to do is have an educational program in all the schools that's going to help educate the children, which then is going to help the intelligence of the, of the continent of Africa. He said, yes, but we do that through computers. I said, no, you do that through education. Computers is a tool for education. He says, but how are we going to do that? I said, well, one way we could do is that we can get all these technology companies to build solutions that go on these computers that help educate students. He said, you think we can do that? And so I helped them design kind of this consortium um, programs where every multinational company put together a consortium. And they all had to come up with two education solutions, one for urban and one for rural. Um, right, because you might need satellite, you don't, have you don't have electricity, all these things. And so we had about eight different companies that had total solutions that we put together and that we would take to different countries. And, you know, and what's in it for the companies? Well, this country's gonna buy your solution, <laughs> right? But what we're gonna do is we're gonna educate children. So I am really proud of the fact of helping to to kind of reposition this whole thing about let's not dump stuff on the continent. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure there's a purpose behind Absolutely. it and that it's used for that purpose. Let's use business to actually create change. Exactly. Right. And, and, the, and the other thing is, um, I remember when I was talking to my wife about going to South Africa and this thing, I said, oh, but if I have a meeting Nelson Mandela, you have to, because I know I'll be a blabbering idiot, so <laughs> please, you get to stand near me, help me, right? Well, I did have the opportunity to meet Nelson wow. Mandela. And this is how full story, one of the deans from Northeastern University that helped us mm -hmm. and advised us on 
how to be good students and mm -hmm. the demonstration, the whole bit, was actually working for the Nelson Mandela Foundation in South Africa. Wow. <laughs> and he called me and uh, he said, I said, it's Dean Ricks, actually. He's passed now, but it was uh, Dean Gregory Ricks. And uh, we just got together and uh, I met Nelson Mandela and it was great and found out about his organization. And through his organization, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey was working because she wanted to build a school in South Africa, a school for girls. Don't know if you heard about it, but it was all in the news, mm -hmm. Oprah Winfrey School for Girls. School for Women's Leadership is what it actually is. And uh, he said, can you help? I said, let me see what I can do. <laughs> so, I so I met with the executive director um, and uh, we talked for a couple of hours. And at the end of it, she goes, but you didn't try to sell me anything. I said, I'm not interested in selling you something. I want to know what you're trying to do here. Um, and uh, I said, I'm, I'm, I want to partner with you. Let's figure out how to partner and make this, make this work. I think it's a great idea. But there are some, there are some obstacles. Mm -hmm. Women in Africa are not leaders. So how do we... How do we do that in a way that makes it acceptable? And, you know, there's a whole tribalism stuff. And we've got to be careful with a lot, a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. um, so we got together and said, yeah, let's do this. So we took a trip out to the school where they had poured the concrete, et cetera. And I said, so where's your network? What's your pedagogy? How are you going to do all this? I hadn't even thought of it. Now, I'm, please don't take this as me talking bad about Oprah or anything else, but mm -hmm. It's, you don't know what you don't know. Absolutely. And so I uh, went back to Cisco and said, why don't we partner with Oprah on this? And they said, who? <laughs> said, Oprah. Go, can you get her here? I said, I can get her here. Yeah. So, you know, so got her there, <laughs> got her into the company. We looked at some of the educational solutions, some of the things that Cisco's, they not only did um, were the leader in networking, they actually built solutions for oil and gas, for auto, for education, financial. I mean, they built solutions for these things that, because right, they're interested in con as internet, mm -hmm. right? They're interested in bandwidth. Mm -hmm. So if it's going to increase bandwidth, they're going to come up with a solution for it, right? Um, and so we introduced it to some, to some stuff. And um, then I, um, again, full circle, um, one of my professors from the African-American Studies Department was now specializing in women's leadership. And so I called her and said, hey, can you come help us with kind of how to figure out this women's leadership thing in Africa for this, <laughs> right? So we hired her to do the leadership thing. Um, I got in touch with uh, Sesame Street um, and they helped us with some educational programs. And I mean, it was just, and you know, people always say, well, how did you know How'd you know you could do that? I didn't. I just did it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we, we actually built kind of like helped her build like the entire curriculum, pedagogy and infrastructure on how to do that through the Internet. Mm. So that was a that was a that was a great that was a great, great yeah, yeah, opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then. Um, what did I do after Cisco? Uh, <laughs> I consulted for a little while, and then I went on. Um, then I went to my last company, which was NetApp, where I was working for another sister, mm -hmm. which was great. Um, and uh, uh, back in human resources. And uh, yeah, that was just a regular human resource. I shouldn't say regular, but I was vice president of human resources. Okay. But um, so it was actually a big job. I had all of the revenue 
parts of the business. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a lot. <laughs> it was just a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but here's where, here's where God speaks to you again. Um, there came a point where it just wasn't fulfilling my soul. You know, and it's this thing of when, you, when you've been, when you've done, had the opportunities that I've had in South Africa, when you had the opportunities I had, like, you know, when I look back, and I remember when I went to Cisco, they talked about the evolution of the internet. I actually worked at all the companies. You know, I looked at all these companies were the companies that were doing this. It wasn't called internet then, right? right? Because yeah. we were just doing how do you communicate within the buildings? <laughs> then how do you commit from this building to this that, building? Yeah, and, yeah. Right, I mean, floor to floor, building to building. And then it became this thing called the internet, which actually the US military developed, but still, right. it was all these things that went into that. And I was like, oh, I did that, I did that. I remember that, I remember that. You know, it's like, when you, have, when you look back and say, wow, I really have had a blessed life. I really have had an eventful life. And what you're doing here at this company just is not, it's not, I'm not feeling it, right? Mm -hmm. And I went to the CEO and said, you know, we're a storage company, but we have to look at big data and we have to understand what people are going to do with this data. Mm -hmm. I mean, how are you going to aggregate this data? How are you, how do people going to, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Right, right. I mean, because it's got to be, you got to help companies learn mm -hmm. from all the data they have, where they are, where they're going and how to, and how to get there. Yeah, Baron, you're right, but that's not stuff we want to do right now. I said, well, if you don't do it now, your competitors will. He says, you're right. He says, in probably five years, I'll call you to do that. I said, you won't be able to afford me in five years. <laughs> <laughs> and, but then I knew I was just tired, yeah. and, uh, and I retired. I, I, and that's when I retired, mm -hmm. and it was the best thing I ever did. Mm -hmm. um, so I retired from corporate life, okay. but I didn't retire from life, Absolutely. right? So it was a chance for me to get my health back together because mm. I was a fairly stout gentleman by the time. <laughs> Don't I understand it? <laughs> from the time. So I got, you know, got back on my bike, got back into running, started eating healthily, um, you know, got, just got back into shape and, you know, just, and now I'm, get, got back into my reading. Um, um, I picked up the saxophone. I, I, there's something I always I loved the saxophone and said, well, let me learn it. I never, I don't know how to read music or anything, but, yeah, yeah. but it's something I'm doing now. And it's, <laughs> and it's just, and it's, just, it's a blessing to be alive while you're waiting for what God has in store for you. Yeah. Because I know, like I said to the doctor, God has a plan for me. Yeah. And I, I know it's not finished. Yeah. So, um, a large part of your story has been this amazing kind of confidence, right? Like you, you do things that other folks don't do, you kind of have that. But then there's also this humility that goes along with it, like human resources. You're constantly finding people that can't do what you do, nor do you feel like you have to be centralized to be that. What do you think led to what I think is a, a beautiful parallel of both this confidence and this humility? Well, growing up in Boston <laughs> <laughs> and going to a a school outside your, your growing up neighborhood, um, you know, you get confronted a lot with people who don't want you there. Mm -hmm. So I've had to learn to defend myself in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Physically, I became a very good physical fighter. <laughs> um, but, I also know, but I also learned that you can't physically fight your way through life. Yeah. Um, and I had to use my gift of intelligence. You know, my daddy always said, you know, never blame your work on your tools, like I said, and you know, mm -hmm. Use your brain. 
And so I had to learn to kind of do my homework and figure out kind of what's motivating something mm -hmm. in a way to not necessarily talk my way out of it, yeah. but to convince others that that's not the way yeah. we need to resolve it. Absolutely. Um, so I've, I've done that my whole life. It's, it's, I've, you know, my, my daddy would never let me give up on anything, hmm. right? It's what, whatever challenge is in front of you, you figure out a way and you get it done. Like I said, I spent my life in the library in grade school because I was deficient in reading comprehension. Well, I learned how to do my homework. Um, so there was, I was always taught that there's nothing you can't do if you put your mind to it. And that just turned out to be true. Um, the humility, um, how can you not be humble with a mother and father who worked their entire life to make sure their children had a better life than they did? Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, I, I wasn't a mature kid. I lost my father at 16 years old. Um, and that was hard. Mm -hmm. So I had nobody to shepherd me into manhood. <laughs> um, and it took me a long time to Figure get to man. To, to, it really did. It took me a long time to get to manhood. So um, I had no, you know, it's, you know, even though because of what I did, sometimes in college I was called black and belligerent. <laughs> the reality is, is that, you know, I, I, I believe that you don't get to these successes alone that you brought others with you, that it wasn't your struggle, it's our struggle. Mm -hmm. And yes, while I may have been a leader in them, I wasn't the leader in it because I was being led, yeah. right? And it's like, you know, it's, um, essentially you did a sermon the other day about um, um, treat your slaves, yeah, yeah. Everybody's slave and master, mm -hmm. right? We all have a master, right? Yeah, and yeah. that, I mean, that sermon spoke to me. Let me be real clear, <laughs> because, because it really was, it really was part of how I looked at life. Mm -hmm. It really was, and it really is. Yeah. Um, so how can you not be humble when you know, you I'm not doing this alone. Yeah. I am being led. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's where the humility comes from. I, I had a good life. I got a, came from a good family. I have a wonderful family now. I've been, I've, I've got so much to be blessed with. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. That's one thing I didn't mention, Pastor, that um, I helped really establish a church while I was in South Africa. Mm. I guess there's two things I didn't mention. That was one of them. Um, it was my father's, my father's house. It was a Christian church where I was a deacon in training, actually. I was just, just, just about to become a deacon <laughs> when I came back. Um, and it was, it was just incredible learning. I, I would, it's not equate, it's not an equation, it's not equal. Um, but one of my conditions for going to South Africa was Cisco also sending me to grad school. Okay. And what I did was say, what are the top five grad schools in the country? Because that's, I'm going to go to one of those, right. especially since you're all paying for it, <laughs> right? And I went to the Fuqua School of Business, Duke, Duke University, where I got a, my degrees in global business, okay. which kind of makes sense given what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and what I learned through that is they really didn't teach me anything except the names of things that I was already doing, yeah. right? And so it's, and it's, I mean, I shouldn't say didn't teach me. I learned things, but I learned that there were things that I were doing. Oh, I didn't know there was this name to it. Mm -hmm. Oh, now I know. Oh, that's okay. That's what we're doing. That's, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and so I was living far more of a Christian life 
than I even knew I was, <laughs> right? I mean, so all those things I learned as a kid in church, it's the way I approached. I mean, I never had to cuss anybody out while I was in South Africa. Uh, the one time, you know, South Africa, dangerous place, right? I never had a problem, never had a problem. I mean, uh, we went downtown, Joburg, my wife was getting her hair braided on the street, right? <laughs> I go in the office and tell people, well, weren't you afraid? Why? Everybody looked like me, <laughs> right? And, um, it's, it, and, it's, and it's just living in a way where I valued the people I came across, which is very Christian. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing how it works. And it just works, right? And so that same thing in church is, is, is just, and then reading and studying the scripture, it was like, oh, that's what I was doing. Yeah, right. right. I mean, and, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and I think it's really interesting the way these things go hand in hand. And I just wonder, I don't wonder, honestly, but I can't imagine what my life would have been had I not had that foundation yeah. to learn what I didn't even know but I was practicing without knowing it. And I really think that's, you know, and that's why I say, you know, God has a plan for me. Yeah. Um, and I think part of this, all of this was part of his plan because I, I didn't get there by myself, <laughs> right? But I, I'm, I really, you know, and I know that I, you just don't sit and wait. It's got to be active. You got to be actively pursuing what yeah, is yeah. that thing, Absolutely. right? And, and I, I think I do that every day. I'd like to believe I do that every day. You have told a whirlwind story, and I know this is only but a, a bit of the iceberg, really, for the variety of things that you've done. But if I was to give you one last question, mm-hmm. um, anybody listening, variety of folks, hearing all the ways that you've been able to maneuver, what would you hope that they are able to remember, to take, from just really hearing your story and the legacy that God has been able to provide for you? You are what you can imagine. Um, I could have imagined myself a poor ghetto kid, and that's what I would have been. <laughs> um, but um, I think it's just going back to you know my father saying, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Yeah. Have a plan. Um, believe in God. Believe in yourself, and you will get to the, you will get to the place that you need to be. Yeah. Um, and I just really believe that you know I I, I can't believe that all the things that we were fighting for in the 50s, 60s, and 70s are coming back today. So I know the fight's not over, mm-hmm. but hopefully we'll fight it differently mm. and we'll have more permanent and lasting results. Absolutely. So I think we all have to stay in the struggle, but stay in the struggle in a way that's meaningful, mm. that's forgiving, yeah. um, that's um, enlightening, mm. and that's loving. So you opened up and you said, you know, hey, um, my name is Baron Cox and I'm a survivor. None of your story really says survivor. That seems a, a bit too small. I think if I was to introduce you, I would say you are Baron Cox and you are a thriver. <laughs> You've been able to thrive in a variety of different situations. It has been amazing just hearing. And I'm hoping you'll, you'll let me do lunch or we could do dinner or something because I want to learn more. Absolutely. Um, I'd be, it'd be my honor. It, but it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on Living Legends. So thank you all for, um, for this, for witnessing, being a part of this um, amazing episode of Living Legends. It is so good to get to, to hear so many other parts of our story. Sometimes we hide them, we don't tell them, but I believe it's a truth when the scripture talks about, you know, we defeat the enemy by the blood of the lamb, but also by the telling of our testimonies. Most of our greatest testimony is our life story. 
And some folks say we survive, but the truth is sometimes we thrive. And so I pray that you will remember that and I pray that you'll be ready for our last one coming up next month of Living Legends. God bless you.